is the right word there in college football. And by that, I mean a team, when this team wins, just about everyone outside that losing team, outside the rival fan bases, the people that had um, pre-established disdain for a certain team, when this team wins, everyone is genuinely happy. Is there a team more like that than Kansas? Like for people that pay attention to college football, or at least enough attention to know the landscape of it, the, the tiers of the team, know who really sucks, knows who's good, etc. Because of how bad it's been for so long at Kansas, is there another team that wins, like Kansas did against Texas Tech on Saturday night, and almost everybody says, hey, good for them? Is there another team more like that? More like that? Probably not. Uh, and, and this is, I mean, you don't have to really like delve into the psychology of why this happens. They, they suck, and they've sucked for a long time. So when they it's win, pretty basic. Yeah, it's like a yeah, decade like of losing. It's not like we need to talk money and, like you said, psychology of human yeah. emotions. <laughs> it, I, I do think uh, I think Purdue can be kind of up there, uh, partially because it's 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 not as it, it hasn't been as bad as Kansas, uh, but it hasn't been like an awesome program. And then I think some of the Tyler Trent stuff last year really bought them a lot of like public credibility, and I think a lot of people were rooting for them. So I think Purdue maybe is like a distant second right now. But no, I don't think anybody touches Kansas. Yeah, maybe that's like some sort of caveat there. If there was some sort of emotional – like with everything that's going on with Casey O'Brien at Minnesota, I think that they've picked up – I think people are shifting from – people that didn't like Fleck at the beginning are shifting to really like Fleck because everyone has seen that he is very genuine and with that Casey O'Brien. But yeah, without those those caveats, I think that – and well, let's just skip to this. The reason I ask you this is because when I was watching that game, I was thinking that. But then I was also thinking, who's the most unifying playoff contender, a most likable playoff contender, however you want to put it? I think it's LSU. I don't think many people with, like what I said, the, the previous disdain for LSU are actually fussy with how well LSU is playing. It, to me, they feel like kind of Clemson. I think people are getting worn out on Clemson a little bit. I think that Dabble does rub some people the wrong way. But before Clemson really turned that corner, when they were kind of turning that corner 2015 to, uh, 2014 to 2015, LSU to me feels like Clemson when they started turning that corner. And now, like, who is rooting against LSU that didn't already hate LSU? They feel like of the playoff contenders of those six or eight teams, however many you want to put in there, it seems like LSU is the most likable. What is there not to like about LSU right now? Uh, there's really nothing. And it's, it's LSU and Clemson are, they're two interesting teams to sort of compare Clemson from five years ago and LSU now, because I feel like when Clemson finally started turning things around, they had such a high public approval rating because of the whole like Clemsoning thing. And they were going from that to like being a national contender, a really, really good team and having all those great defensive lines and you know, having Deshaun, uh, <laughs> just, uh, just all of it, you know? Uh, and, and when you look at LSU, I think it's, it's not the same thing because obviously the Clemson thing is unique, but when you look at LSU, everybody loves watching Ed Orgeron talk. 
Uh, everybody loves the Coach O quotes. Uh, you have a team that's been historically sort of boring to watch in terms of like the schematic stuff that they do, just randomly switching to becoming a Big 12 team and, and putting up just massive piles of offense in a conference that is openly sort of annoying about how much they talk about themselves and how much they love defense. And then you have LSU being a complete contrarian and, and Joe Burrow going from a guy we talked about on this podcast a year ago, you and I like, yeah, he's okay. I guess. I mean, he, he doesn't really do it for me to like maybe the Heisman front runner and just crazy stats. It's just this weird change of of direction in in more ways than one for this one singular program and i and i think that's why the approval rating so high well it's crazy because like you said i mean they're they're in this conference that screams and yells and i i do believe that the sec is the best conference this year i think they have been the best conference for a really long time i think we're both on the same page with that but they do yell and scream and yet we're sitting here talking about the division that screams the most about a team being the most likable in the country, at least among the playoff contenders, being in that division. Is that a bigger conversation, or is that just, like, I mean, is that just everything kind of aligning where everyone is genuinely happy? Like, like take Michigan, for example. Their offense has been dull and boring and bland for so long, but if Michigan started doing this, I don't think everyone would jump on board. So is that just a Harbaugh problem? Um, it could be a Michigan-specific problem, because I think most other schools... If you had sort of like if Wisconsin or Iowa all of a sudden had an air raid offense, everybody would be like, what? Because we like different stuff. You know, we we don't like the same four teams in the playoff every year. We don't like the same three yards in a cloud of dust offenses, you know, anywhere south of the Mason-Dixon line. It's boring and we've seen it a million times. So I think inherently, whenever we see something new, we're sort of programmed to be like, oh, what is this? I'm interested. This is entertaining. Let's jump into your wrong. You were fired about uh, you were fired up about this week, and you wanted to run with it. So Chase, run with it. Yeah, I've, I've got a few good ones. We're going to work up to. Uh, I, I think I've got two really good ones here at the end. We'll start sort of soft. Uh, the ongoing debate we've had about the ACC and sort of who's the second best team. I think I have it finally figured out. Louisville is the second best team in the ACC. I love that so much. And when you started setting that up, I was hoping you would say Louisville. Absolutely it's not just because they beat UVA either. It, I think it, it that really the potential, like it feels like if you, I don't know if they would win every neutral site game against every other ACC team, but it feels like if you were to take one other ACC team besides Clemson and put them on a neutral site against any other ACC team or against any other team in the country, it feels like at least Louisville has the best chance. Yeah, there's still a chance they get blown out, but it feels like with Louisville, you at least have a team that's going to take a good shot at that team. So, yeah, I completely agree with that. Yeah, and, and okay, so we're, we're on the same page there. Uh, number two, sort of going way off the board here, uh, away from the Power Five, but I really want I, I try to go into some weird places for this, so I, I wanted to go here. I think Rice is on track to become the best 0-11 team in the history of college football. <laughs> I really do. Uh, <laughs> so when you say 0-11, do you mean because they play UTEP that last game? I think North Texas is the Week 13 game that Thanksgiving yeah. or the weekend before Thanksgiving. So you're saying they they win at UTEP. So going into that UTEP game, being 0-11, they will be the best team at that point in the season ever. Yeah, I, I think they actually beat UTEP and end up 1-11. But I, look, I'm... I know a lot of people probably haven't watched a Rice game this year. I'm not, like, Rice shaming you. But if, 
They're they're not this bad. They're really not. And they're 0 and 8 right now and they're going to be 0 at 11 in 3 weeks. They're not going to win in any of the next 3 games. But they're good. Like they they're they have good play at the line of scrimmage and it's just kind of funny and fluky that this team's 0 and 11 because they've been in a lot of close games and they have some nice parts. Yeah, and really quickly, and, and you and I kind of, I'm glad you brought this up. You know, I talked about this right before we hopped on here, and I want to talk about Rice um, or Tulsa, which I want to bring up too, is that a lot of times when we're looking at hot seat, and we're going to get to who would they hire here in a little bit and talk about the lack of jobs that we can see for sure opening, I think a lot of people will go and look at it and say, Rice is 0-8. Mike Bloomgren has got to be on the hot seat. Or Philip Montgomery at Tulsa, uh, I think they're 2-6 and six right now after the Memphis loss. He's won, I think, one, two, eight games in the last three years. A lot of people can look at that and say there's no way, but it's such a bizarre case with both of those teams because they have looked so much better this year, yet that they're, yet they're on pace for Rice. I think they won, what, one game last year? Is that right? I think so. I think so. they won a 1-11 last year, and, and Tulsa won 3-9. and nine. So here are two teams, and this is why the hot seat is just more than looking at the damn record. You need to look at how they won their games, who they played, and even though Rice might uh, win or lose the same number of games as last year, and Tulsa might too, two vastly improved teams. And that can go into a hot seat conversation where it feels like there are a lot of teams like that this year where their win total is not great, but it's almost impossible to see an actual change moving forward. So anyways, move on, you're wrong. I, I do agree with that. Uh, my, my third one, coming back to the ACC, we, we talked a couple times this year about like who's going to win the Coastal and nobody can figure it out. I think the Commonwealth Cup, the rivalry between UVA and Virginia Tech, is going to be the ACC championship play-in game. I don't think there could be a more indifferent divisional <laughs> championship. Seriously. Yeah. I mean, I mean for, if you are outside of the Commonwealth, I just I've watched both teams this year more so just because they're on. I haven't actually sat down to watch because I'm curious, but there there cannot be. I mean, talk about a more unifying team like a Kansas or an LSU. Could there be a more indifferent matchup, especially with those highest stakes in the country? Yeah, no, I, I don't not. think so. If That's, you don't I, I don't live disagree. In Virginia. With, yeah, I don't disagree with you, but I also am just you know there was a, a I think it was maybe seven or eight years ago in the Big Ten. Uh, conference tournament basketball and I think like there were a couple upsets like Minnesota got an upset and they got to the semifinal and you know Illinois was there unsurprisingly or something and they were doing picks and going around a circle and this is when Bob Knight was still on the the ESPN pregame show or something and they got to him and he just said I don't care and didn't make a pick (laughs) that's kind of how I feel about this game I would probably watch it but there is not a more indifferent game with that high of stakes for me yeah, and the interesting part of it, I think, is not the UVA part because we kind of know UVA is is the arguably the best team in a not at all consistent division, right? But I think the interesting part is Tech still sort of being alive because four or five weeks ago we were on this podcast and I was just trashing them and they deserved it, but they have they've sort of worked themselves back in, not just by their own merits and winning at Miami and pulling off the upset over UNC at home. But also, just the Coastal keeps losing. Everybody keeps losing. The, the number, the first place team in that division right now has two losses and there's still like a month to go. So it, it does feel like, based on how the schedule shakes out, I think that'll be an ACC championship playing game, which is wild to think about when you think about where Tech was a month ago. All right, what's next? All right, here, let's, let's get to let's get. So to I don't even know ones. if I'm going to say you're wrong on that. Probably not, but I also just don't really care. Right. That that's the third option. I don't care. <laughs> we we need to rebrand the game as I don't care. 
Uh, all right, here we go. Oklahoma will not play in the Big 12 championship game. Well, I mean, who do you think it'll be? I'm not 100% sure yet. I'm looking right now. I think it's going to be Baylor-Kansas State. So you think that Oklahoma will go to Baylor and lose, I assume. I think if you look at Oklahoma's schedule, and, and I, I don't want to cut forward to a larger conversation about the playoff contenders, but if you look at their schedule, who have they played? They played a Houston team that was way overrated that we now know. They've played the three worst teams in the Big 12. They played UCLA, which has been wildly up and down all year. And I, I think they played South Dakota, an FCS team. Kansas State was the best team they've played all year, and they just lost. And they still have to play Bedlam in Stillwater. They still have to play Baylor, who's undefeated. Texas is... Like, I don't really care that they beat Texas because I don't think Texas is all that good. Is Texas... I want to ask you this, too. Let me stop you. Is Texas... I'm doing my, my Week 10 rankings here. You asked me on your wrong of three or four weeks ago, you flat out said Texas A&M is not a top 40 team. I don't want to go that far, but... Is te- you know what? Fine. Is Texas a top forty team? I was going to say top twenty five, and I haven't even gotten them in my rankings yet. But we both agree they're not a top twenty five team. Maybe if they were healthy, but they're not healthy and they're not good. <laughs> so yeah, I, I don't. I mean, they're not like a top three or four. But there's team a discussion 12. to be had there if Texas is even a top forty team in college football right now. Yeah, I don't think they are. I mean, yeah, we can include injuries, but if you line them up. And said and played them on a neutral field. Would you put Texas as a top forty team? I don't know that you could, or at least there's an argument that they're not. I wouldn't. Anyway, so so back to uh, to Oklahoma in the Big Twelve. So Oklahoma will get into the Big Twelve championship game with one loss. So if they went out, they would be the top seed because that would mean they would have they defeated Baylor, um, and everybody else would have at least two losses, probably three for a few of those teams. So you're assuming that Oklahoma would. have... I don't think they went out. No. Okay, but even if they don't win out, they could still drop one and make it, though, because they're going to have... It depends on who they lose to. True. I guess like they, if they, if they if drop they... to, to Iowa State and TCU, and then we can you know, talk about tiebreakers, and you get into the three-way tiebreakers with the Big 12, it gets extremely messy to break that down. So I don't want to go that far. But... Well, like if they beat Baylor but lose in Bedlam, they're still out. You know, assuming Kansas, assuming Kansas State sort of like stays on this trajectory, which is a huge assumption. But I really think there are a lot of ways that Oklahoma can end up not in that game. So I think you're wrong on that, but I also want to see what else you have for your wrong. So I'm going to say you're wrong, but I want to keep going. All right. The the second one that I have, this last one, I think sort of plays into the idea that Oklahoma's sort of out of the picture here, which is. I think Oregon now has an inside track to a college play spot. I think Oregon is a top eight team in college football. I don't think... Sure, but that's sort of a different conversation. I, I, I understand that. I'm just getting to the point of, of what I think about Oregon. And after they lost that Auburn game, I remember on the podcast I had Jason Churchill on, and I was saying even after the loss, I was more impressed with Oregon after that game than going into that game. And even though Auburn lost to LSU, it felt like one of those games where I wasn't less impressed with Auburn after the game as it was before the game. They went into Baton Rouge and gave LSU uh, basically everything they could handle, kind of like how Florida did the same thing. So I didn't drop them. So I'm almost like that loss is just getting better for me. And even though I felt better about Oregon after that game, and it hasn't really changed, um, say your statement again. Oregon now has an inside track to a college football playoff spot. They don't have the inside track. I think by inside track, you're implying that that they control their own destiny, right? I think if they, like, it, when I think about inside track, this is what I think of. If you went out 
are you probably in? There's always other circumstances, right? We talk about that all the time. You can never account for all the variables, but if you went out, are you probably in? I don't think they get in over a 12-1 and Oklahoma. That's the problem. If Oklahoma loses again, and if Baylor has a loss or two, then I think they have the inside track. I think their strength of schedule is better, and I think they have a better loss. So if you're Would they be me, in over an eleven and one? Because it sure as shit seems like we're going to have a twelve and one, uh, excuse me, a thirteen and zero SEC West champ as the SEC champion, uh, either Alabama or LSU. You agree with that, right? Say that again. The the one of the teams will be a thirteen and zero SEC champ. That will either be LSU or Alabama. Uh, one of the teams is going to be an SEC champ. I don't know if they're going to be thirteen and zero, but yeah, th- I mean, I think we know the SEC champ is getting in. And then year. whoever loses that Alabama LSU game, we think that loser will finish eleven and one as a non divisional champ. Do you agree with that? Maybe I, I don't. I'm not convinced that Alabama is quite as good as as we think. They right, are. but you you you're I guess so. You're saying that Alabama could be ten and two. They could. Yeah, I think that's really? possible. I think they could lose to Auburn and LSU. Yeah. Okay, well, I, I guess we could have that conversation. Maybe that's a bigger conversation for another day. But, but anyways, let me get back to the, to the Oregon thing. I, I guess I'm trying to say, and at least you can see this, whereas if an LSU got to 13-0 and or the Alabama got to 13-0, and the other team was 11-1 and as a non-divisional champ, and this is something that we talked about, I think it was last week, uh, two weeks ago before Wisconsin lost to Illinois, the 12-1 and Big Ten champ versus the 11-1 and non-divisional champ in the SEC. I think that... If Alabama were 11-1, and one, and maybe this is a bigger conversation, not even talking about their resume. We can talk about the playoff history and the playoff committee, and I think you did want to touch on that a little bit. But I think that 11-1 and one team is going to get in over a 12-1 and one Pac-12 champ, in this case, Oregon. So I think Oregon is on that pecking order. They're behind a 12-1 and one Big 12 champ, and they're behind an 11-1 and one SEC non-divisional champ. Fair or not, that's how I think it would shake out. Assuming We're both assuming Clemson and Ohio State get in as undefeated conference champions. I, I, don't, I don't think anything could happen sort of to, to So we're on the, we're on the same Ohio page State. with that. Yeah, we don't even need to talk page. about that. Right, we don't so have to address I, I, that's that why This I is all struggle. about the SEC, the Big 12, and the Pac-12. That's yeah. why I struggle, because not only do I think Oregon is out, in that scenario, I don't even think that they're the fifth team. I think that um, the, the two undefeated champs we just talked about, uh, Clemson and Ohio State, would be in. The SEC champion would be in as you know one of the top three seeds. And then I think the 12-1 and Big 12 champ, we can talk about Baylor being undefeated, whatever, obviously they would be in. But I think that in that scenario, Oklahoma would be sixth behind Ohio State, Clemson, the two SEC teams, and the Big 12. I have a hard time seeing how they're fourth in that scenario. In previous years, in other years, I think you would, I would agree with you about the SEC at large versus Oregon thing. But I think I think Oregon wins out. I think the Big 12 is in trouble because of this Oklahoma loss. I don't think people are as woke on Baylor as you and I are, and I think that helps Oregon. And I don't think I, I if SC, if the SEC is going to get two teams in, let let me rephrase that. If Alabama is the second team out of the SEC... As 11-1 non-divisional champion. I don't think the SEC gets two teams in. I think they're going to be limited to one. I think... Uh, well, it's, it's is tough. That, let me, let me ask stuff, you, is but, that what you want and hope will happen? Or is that what you actually think will happen? Do you really think the committee... And I don't I want to really compare... think when you look at Alabama, when you look at their schedule, when you look at their resume, when you look at the fact what they look like without Tua... Or even look what they look like with Tua. And you look at the fact that they still have to play LSU and Auburn 
And I think they could... I really think they're going to lose one of those games. Maybe two. I just don't think this Alabama team gets in as a one-loss non-champion. I get that that happened a couple years ago. But that team is not this team. There's way more parity and way more interesting teams at the very top of college football this year. There's like that year, you can almost make a case that we shouldn't have had a fourth team in the playoff. It wouldn't have worked mathematically. Just give the one seed a buy and then have two and three compete for the title. There were problems with all those teams that had were vying for that fourth spot, and that's why there was all that commotion. But Ohio State got murdered by Iowa, and Alabama was just kind of eh and sitting there and wasn't a champion. And there were a couple other teams that were sort of hanging out and weren't all that good either. Nobody really had a claim to that fourth spot. There are teams that have a claim to that fourth spot this year. So we still have a month of things that can happen but I really think the SEC is looking at one bid this year and everybody else is going to tear each other down. Clemson and Ohio State feel like locks at this point. And I think the Big 12 is in a huge state of limbo right now. It's going to depend on what Baylor does. But I really think that Oklahoma is not going to make the championship game. And that's why I sort of tie these two together. I think if what I think happens with Oklahoma ends up happening, Oregon has the inside track. Well, and even if Oklahoma makes the championship game, as, let's say, a 10-2, and two. so even if they drop another game but still make the championship game, they're probably out. I, I don't want to sit here, and I know you and I hate doing this, saying a team is definitely out. But I think this year, a two-loss team is going to be out, especially since, they, I mean, Kansas State's a good team. They're not a great team. I still think the committee would probably look down on that loss. It's not a, a playoff-crushing loss, but it's still not a phenomenal loss. It's not like they went into a top-10 team and lost by a field goal on the road. It's not something like that. So I think even if so, you you think Oklahoma is going to lose again in the regular season? So even right, so even if they they do that and they still make the Big Twelve championship game, they're not going to be in. So it, it all comes down to Baylor. So if you want to have that conversation, we can just take. I don't think that that's going to happen. I do think that Oklahoma gets into the Big Twelve championship game as eleven and one. I think they do go down to Waco and win. Um, but anyways, if you want to take Oklahoma out of that, I'm fine with having that conversation. But I still. I still am not confident that the committee would take, with how they've treated the Pac-12 in the past, and I think it's been very, very fair how they've treated them, I don't really see, and I know that the committee changes, and I, I try to have a lot of confidence in the committee because I do think they've gotten it right. I think the committee has gotten it right. It would be five years in now. I think they've gotten all 20 teams correct. I think they've gotten the seating of all 20 teams correct, and I think that they get a lot of unfair criticism and I would like a little bit more transparency with that. And you know, a lot of people in the past have talked about they just need to say, is it the four best teams or is it the four most deserving? They've been, whether it's Kirby Hocutt or Jeff Long or now Rob Mullins, they've been um, not as transparent as I think they should be in that case. But I still am not confident that they would change, and maybe this is just a perception issue, I, I just don't think that they're going to sit there because – what happened two years ago when they did put an 11-1 Alabama, and this is something that I hate. This comes up in the NCAA tournament every year when some team gets in, like Syracuse gets in all the damn time when they shouldn't, and they win a game and everybody says, oh, yeah, see, obviously they proved they should be in. They didn't prove shit. They shouldn't Results have been in. Results don't affirm inclusion. Thank like, you. That's and not I, how this works. I don't understand how you can possibly see that. If you didn't deserve to be in, I don't care if you win the damn national championship. You didn't deserve to be in the field. But I think in the case of the playoff, they're going to look at it, and whether this is a conscious decision or unconscious, I think that they're going to see and say, you know what, even though Alabama is 11-1 non-divisional champ, two years ago they proved they were one of the four best and ultimately the best team in college football. 
we're going to put them in. I, I have a really hard time. I, I hope that they wouldn't do that because I think that Oregon would be the better team and the more deserving team than Alabama in that case. But one thing that I am glad that Oregon played that game against Auburn. We have at least something to compare it to. This isn't a case of like when when TCU and Baylor were competing uh, for one of the, uh, the playoff spots. I think that was like in, what, 14 or 15 or something. And they're all comparing like this game against a, an average Minnesota team because these two teams happened to both play them. And it was it was the dumbest argument, but that was such a huge piece of the playoff puzzle. I think Jeff Long was the committee chair at that point, and he brought up Minnesota every single week. But at least in this case, when they're going to be bringing up Auburn, if we get to this Auburn, uh, excuse me, Alabama, uh, Oregon debate, they'll be bringing up an Auburn team that I still think is a top ten team in the country. And I think come the end of the season, Auburn will still be a top ten team. At least now we have a really good thing to compare to, even though that game was a season opener versus a game on November 30th, and we both know how much teams change over that time. But I'm, I'm really thankful that we at least have that one game. Yeah, and, and I do. I think you're right to point that out because I do think in, in this larger conversation, if we do end up being right and it sort of comes down to this conversation about do you put a 12-1 and Pac-12 champion in there that lost to Auburn or do, do we put this second SEC team in that didn't win its its conference title, but we do feel really strongly about them, like Alabama. If it does come down to Auburn being that sort of swing game that decides which, which way the committee leans, I again, I wonder what the results of that game are going to end up being. Uh, because I like the way that Auburn matches up with them. I, I, I'm not sure off the top of my head whether the game's in Tuscaloosa or it's at Auburn, but... I think if it swings on that one game, then I again, I think Oregon has a great chance. It is in Auburn. So they have LSU at home uh, coming. They have a, a bye and then coming up LSU at home, going to Mississippi State. They get the Cupcake Week, Western Carolina at home. That's in Week 13. And then Auburn on the road. All right, Chase, I, wanna, I, I touched on something earlier when we were talking about uh, jobs opening. So I think I want to go back to who would they hire and – you know, maybe what we taught, what I mentioned before, maybe this is a bigger conversation for after this segment or another episode. But you know, Chase, we talked about this a little bit before we hopped on. When when you and I throw back, uh, throw programs kind of back and forth the night before the pod and say, who do you want to talk about for this segment? Who would they hire? There just aren't that many options, especially in the Power Five. I mean, how many jobs right now can you say? are probably going to be open. We talked about this a few weeks ago. We both agreed that all 10 Big 12 coaches will return next year. It's not impossible to see Matt Rule leaving for the NFL. It's not impossible to see somebody finally ponying up for Matt Campbell. But you and I but both it's not going to be a firing. Right. You and I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that that's kind of the point. I mean, people can always leave for jobs. We don't. There, there's no damn way, unless an off-the-field thing comes up, that a Big 12 coach is getting fired this year. Um, you look at the Pac-12. For the Pac-12, I think it's just USC. I think we're all just looking at USC. I don't see any other Pac-12 coach getting fired there. SEC, I, I mean, even the, the the maybe hot seat coaches, the, the Chad Morris, uh, the Matt Luke, I think those are so far from guaranteed. I know you mentioned Will Muschamp at uh, South Carolina. I think that all those coaches could be fired, but those are so far from guaranteed to say that they're going to be fired. To go to the Big Ten, I mean, with re- recent wins, Lovey Smith isn't going anywhere. Chris Ash was already fired, but... And in the terms of the Big Ten, I don't see another coach getting fired. I think that's almost impossible to see. That's kind of like the Big 12 for me. And then you go into the ACC, and maybe Florida State pulls the plug on Taggart. But that's it, really. So maybe we can get into that later if there's time. But 
As a result, kind of of that, that led us to the group of five for this week's Who Would They Hire discussion. And I brought up one team, Chase brought up another, both of them are on the Mountain West, so we're just going to do both. So first, my uh, suggestion bounces off last week's episode when I had B.J. Reigns of the Idaho Press Tribune on the show. And B.J., he's been covering Boise State football for quite a few years now, and he's not in that group that believes Brian Harson is this Boise lifer. Remember, Brian Harson played there. He was an assistant there. He's from Boise. But he did interview at Oregon twice. He applied for the Tennessee job. So B.J. was saying that he doesn't believe that Harson is just this Boise lifer who's never going to leave. So instead of like we usually do on this show where we say, if you want to talk about hot seat for this coach, we also need to talk replacements. Let's flip it and say if we want to talk Harson as a potential candidate, like we do every single year for every single Power 5 job, hey, Brian Harson might be in play here, who replaces him? So really quickly, this would be the first hire for Boise State AD Kurt, uh, Kurt Apsey. He was actually a longtime associate AD at Boise, uh, 90s, I think through 2014. He was an NAIA AD in Montana for that one year. So he was there right when Harson was hired and right when Harson started, but he wasn't the AD, and he didn't make that call. So this would be Kurt Apsey's first hire, and, and promoting from within, or in Harson's case, bringing him back after a couple of years. I think he was at Texas for like two or three years, and then one year at Arkansas State. Getting those guys that had those strong Boise ties had worked. But again, new AD, new time for the program, so who knows if they would do that again. If they do that, it's probably Zach Hill. He's been there the longest of their high-level coaches. But if they go outside, and this is a conversation I want to have, Chase, if they go outside, I have a few names in mind here, but what are you thinking for Boise State if they were not to promote from within? I kind of like Craig Bull, who's the coach of Wyoming right now. He uh, he has a nice sort of track record, uh, not just at Wyoming, but before that when he sort of started the North Dakota State dynasty. Now he's at Wyoming. He's put together what looks like back-to-back-to-back winning seasons there. So I, I think they could maybe try to poach him from inside the conference. I think that would be a strong move. I, I think everybody sort of knows the job that Craig Bull is going to do. He's, he's going to... He's going to give you results. Uh, he had a couple of bad seasons there at Wyoming when he first got in where he was sort of building the program back up. But, I mean, we're talking about Wyoming here. This is not this is not a program that has the history like Boise State. You are going to need a couple years. And after he got those couple years, you know, he he won the division, I think, in, in 2017, I want to say. Uh, he just produced an NFL draft pick, a pretty highly sought-after one. And I think he could be a, a pretty good hire for Boise State. Do you think he's too old? He is, I looked it up, he's 61 years old, and I know this is kind of a dangerous conversation to have, and maybe he has 20 more years in him, but do you think Boise State, who has done so well with these younger or young-ish kind of uh, replacements of guys that had ties to Boise, Craig Bull, yeah, he's out west, but he has no strong tie to Boise that I know of. He's 61 years old, though. I mean, is that too old for them to be taking a shot on a guy that's done well at Wyoming, but he hasn't been a head coach above that. And he does have a little bit of experience uh, at Nebraska under Tom Osborne, but is it too old for them? That's a, I think that's a fair question because of sort of what their strategy has been with these younger guys out in Boise. But I, I don't think just because he's 61, which isn't, I mean, it, it, it might be old for the conversation that we're having. That's not old for coaching. Uh, it, it's, you know, uh, there's a lot of coaches that are in their late fifties and early sixties. That's probably the average age, honestly. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't think he's too old, no. I have two guys that I think would probably lead that conversation. If Brian Harson left 
tomorrow for whatever job, I think the two names will be mentioned more than any others will be Jimmy Lake and Pete Kiewitowski from Washington co-defensive coordinators. So they both followed Peterson from Boise. Uh, they both have no head coaching experience, but in Kiewit, I can never say this guy's name, Kiewitowski, he is a former Boise player, so you have that. They have that same tie that has worked for them for so long. Uh, there's a lot to love on his resume. Again, no head coaching experience. Still early 50s. A lot of tread left on those tires with Jimmy Lake. Same deal, but he, you know he has that Boise experience if they're looking for that. Another guy, and I know that you're deep in FCS stuff, I want to ask you about this guy. How about Jeff Choate from Montana State? Do you think that Boise State can do when you said Craig Bull, the age thing came up. I also, with all due respect to Craig Bull, I think Boise State can do better. In the case of Jeff Maybe. Choate, can they do better than Jeff Choate? Uh, yeah, they can do better than Jeff Choate. <laughs> uh, Jeff Choate's a good coach, uh, I, so I don't mean to make it sound like I don't think he's a good coach. I think the the way he has. Uh, Coached Montana State for for those that maybe don't know is sort of like the little brother program in Montana, right? Montana State is always going to play second fiddle to, to Montana, uh, but Montana State has a pretty nice winning streak going against the Grizz right now. So I think he's done a good job in that spot. It's it's been probably the more consistent uh, program in that area of this decade, uh, and they're sort of always a fixture in the Big Sky. So he does a lot with maybe inferior resources. I think he's a good coach, uh, but to your point about Craig Bull and you think he could do better, I think you can do better than hiring sort of a second-tier FCS coach straight to Boise State, which is you know arguably a top 25 FBS program. I think you could probably find somebody better than that. But I do think Jeff Choate is probably in line for, a, for an FBS job one of these days if he wants it. And maybe we'll talk about him here in a second, but the reason I brought him up is because he has those those Boise State ties. He was assistant under Peterson for a long time. He spent most of his career out west, minus uh, he has a year at Florida, and then I think he has a year yeah, at Eastern Illinois. But, I mean, everything is out west, Montana State, Washington, Washington State, Boise State. So he's been in that region. And even though they can do better, there's a lot to like on that resume. Um, but, yeah, I think that if, if he were – to, for example, take a G5 job and, and do well in that for a couple of years, then I think he could be in the conversation, but maybe it's a little bit too early. So the second half of this conversation, maybe this is where Jeff Choate fits in, New Mexico. I'm looking at the, the FCS for New Mexico, Chase, and I think that Jeff Choate, maybe he's in play for that type of job. Is that better for him? Yeah, I think that's that's sort of where you would want to go uh, if you're New Mexico. You know, Jeff Choate... He's going to be more comfortable with those Pacific Northwest recruiting inroads. So so you're sort of losing that if you're going to New Mexico because they're probably not focusing on the Pacific Northwest for recruits. More about that, you know, Phoenix, SoCal, Texas probably area. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's probably the neighborhood they would probably be looking in for to hire a guy is somebody like Jeff Choate. I have a name for New Mexico uh, that's sort of going in a different direction that I could give you. Uh I like. Uh, I, I think Danny Gonzalez could be in play. Who's the defensive coordinator at Arizona State? He's a New Mexico alum. Uh, he coached there as I know he coached there as a as a GA, uh, and I believe he worked as sort of a more formal full time coach there as well before he before he jumped to be part of Herm Edwards' staff uh, when Herm Edwards got back into coaching. You're right. He is an alum. I didn't know that. Yeah, because he was he was on Rocky Longstaff for so long. He's only 43 too. Yeah, he's a he's a young guy. So I think that's sort of a sneaky good name. That I mean, you're not going to hear that probably anywhere else. Maybe on like an Arizona State blog. I really pulled that out of nowhere. But uh, <laughs> like, 
But it's, it's uh, that type of name. So, like, you know this NFL, this this, this coaching hire uh, carousel that we just went through, when all these teams are putting out press releases, like, Cliff Kingsbury once shared a piece of gum with Sean McVay, therefore we hired him. It's It's that type of deal, but they can go and say Danny Gonzalez, Coached under, we both agree that Herm Edwards was a bizarre hire. It it seems to be working out okay for them. We can say that that Danny Gonzalez coached under Herm Edwards, and he coached under Rocky Long for a really long time. Because with was he with Rocky Long when he was at probably when he was at New Mexico then. So he must have followed him because he was there. Gonzalez went to San Diego State in 2011, and that's when Rocky Long went to uh, San Diego State. Uh, no, so he Rocky Long was at New Mexico until 2008. San Diego State, D.C., 9-10, and then he became head coach in 11. Let me ask you another FCS one here. Any interest in giving Dan Hawkins another shot in the FBS? I totally think Dan Hawkins deserves another shot in the FBS. I think he's an outstanding coach. I I think he's probably one of the six best coaches in FCS. Uh, That being said, he really likes where he's at right now. Uh, we've, we've, you know, on the FCS side of things, Brian McLaughlin, Sam Herter, and I, we've talked to him. I, I don't even know how many times, uh, he, he talks to us all the time. He's a super sociable guy. He, he's just a different cat, man. Like the, the way a lot of coaches treat media members sort of at arm's length, which honestly is the smart way to do it. Like <laughs> you should keep us at arm's length. Uh, you know, there's just too many journalists that have too many sort of are trying to get, stories out of people and everything so I totally get it I'm not knocking that or anything but Dan Hawkins has always been super open super friendly like he just is a different kind of guy I would love to see him in an FBS job I I think that's a a great name pull from you I just wonder if he wants to leave Davis yeah and I don't need to spend time echoing everything you said but I completely agree and I had him on the show back in I think February and it came up you mentioned Brian McLaughlin I was talking to Brian kind of about Dan and I said yeah I would love to have him on the show sometime and it was 30 seconds later that, that Brian put us on a, a group text and Dan responded. And I think he said something like, hell yeah, let's do it. I mean, he doesn't even know who I am and you're responding, yeah. hell yeah, let's do it. <laughs> He's just a different guy, man. <laughs> yeah. And I really enjoyed the conversation, but anyways, I, I agree that He's extremely comfortable, and he just gushes over UC Davis. Great to be back at his alma mater. Uh, he's from California, all of that. He's, I think he began his career as like a grad assistant there. But anyways, he, he when he was on the show, he was talking about how, because he took like some time off. He did this the CFL thing. He did some broadcast in ESPN. He did, I think he was like in Austria for a year, and then he did the national team for a year. But then he generally took some time off from college football because he left Colorado. He was fired in 2010. And didn't go to UC Davis until 17. So that's, what, six seasons he was out of college football. So right before he took the UC Davis job, he was actually, like, going to the airport to, to be the FIU offensive coordinator in Butch Davis. So he was ready to get back in college football. And I guess maybe that makes me feel like he's not just – he wasn't just sitting around waiting for UC Davis to call. And, yes, he did jump at that position. But because he was going back to college football – that makes me think that he would consider doing it again. I kind of tried to get this out of him in the conversation about what jobs he, he'd be looking for if he's looking for another opportunity, and he, he didn't really answer that question. But I guess I bring it up with New Mexico because it, it feels like almost a safe hire for New Mexico, and how how often can you say that for... I mean, New Mexico is probably a bottom 5-10 to 10 job in college football, right? Recruiting alone, I mean, there, there's just nobody. When I went through before the season, I did the best college football player from every single state. 
There are two FBS teams in New Mexico, but it was a bitch trying to find a player from New Mexico. They just don't have that many high school football teams, and the ones they do, they're not producing elite talent. Yeah, so, it's, it's kind of like West Virginia in that, right? Like, the only game in town is WVU and Marshall, but there's just nobody coming from there. You know, the, the, the number of recruits they have is extremely limited. So I understand the challenges. I don't know if I'd go as far as saying they're bottom 10 just because, like, there's a lot of bad programs. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, they're down but there. It's a, it's a, it's a really bad job. It's, it's a, a tough really job. tough job. And he hasn't really been in that type of position before. He took over like a semi-broken Colorado program. But like when he, when he went to Boise State after Dirk Cutter, like they were starting to get rolling. Yeah, he took over a bad, broken UC Davis program. But I think there's a lot of questions. Would he even take that job? The money won't be great. Won't be great at all. New Mexico has some major financial problems, and that's kind of why they, I think they've hung on to Bob Davy for this long because they just couldn't afford to pay him. Uh, I think it was a seven-figure buyout. Now it's significantly lower. But yeah, I don't know. Dan Hawkins is an interesting name. Anyone else that comes to mind there for one of the worst jobs in college football, or do you just want to move on because we talked about New Mexico for ten minutes? Yeah, I'm, I'm leaning toward that. I want to before we close here, really quick conversation. Saturday to me, it felt like this all overrated day with how many teams that proved to be very overrated in the preseason. Texas loses to TCU. Nebraska loses to Indiana. Purdue loses to Illinois. And remember when we were doing the the over-under uh, like betting preview for the season, and you laughed at Purdue? What was Purdue's win total? Like it was like seven, seven, and, seven and, a half and a half or something. something and at the time, we said that is asinine. And that looks even more asinine. So Purdue loses to Illinois. Michigan State gets blasted by Penn State. Another blowout loss. I mentioned this to you before we hopped on here, and I also tweeted it. I went back and looked because it just it felt like Michigan State gets their ass kicked a lot. And it turns out Michigan State gets their ass kicked a lot. In their last 47 games, nine of them, not their last 47 losses, their last 47 games total, nine of them have been 20-point losses. So in 20% of their games, Michigan State is getting throttled. And that doesn't even include any of the double-digit losses. They have like six or seven more of those. So maybe we just talk about Mark D'Antoni and Michigan State. But I wanted to talk about the, the – it felt like an all-overrated day to me. Did it feel like that to you where where – people that were pumping these teams. And I, I agree. I thought Texas would be a hell of a lot better. I thought Nebraska would be a hell of a lot better. But did it feel like a punch in the mouth to all these people that were overhyping these teams in the preseason? It, it was a lot of teams that lost, and they lost, I don't want to say big necessarily, but like I guess where does this conversation go? Do you think this changes anything? Is it is it like the type of thing where every single year – Everybody says Texas is back, and then you know finally some team, some uh, analysts and predictors start pushing them down. Did it feel like? Can one we of retire the... Texas is back like right here on this podcast? No, I'm just... because it'll happen again next year. <laughs> can we just? And can Nebraska we will Texas be overhyped again next year, and everyone will gush over Jeff Brom and Purdue again next year. But Andrew, you don't understand. Scott Frost went to Nebraska. I, I don't want to have the is Scott Frost is Jeff Brom overrated conversation because I don't know if that's entirely fair. But when the when USA Today published their salaries of all the coaches last week, Jeff Brown is the eighth highest paid coach in college football. And I applaud what he initially did at Purdue. But since that initial surge that first year that went over Ohio State last year, I don't I'm struggling to see where how Jeff Brown is earning this kind of money and how he has earned this revered perception among college football and especially with Scott Frost falls in that conversation too this guy's making a shit ton of money and yes he had a good year at UCF but what I mean we talk so much about what has Willie Taggart done 
what the hell has Scott Frost done? Yeah, I think I'm going to answer your question by really not answering your question at all. <laughs> um, it, it, this weekend sort of was about, I think, like it's one of those things where I look at when I talk about season win totals. Is it a moment or is it a movement? Like what have any of these teams done over a sustained period of time to make me think, oh, this team is actually good. Like Iowa State had a nice season in 2018. That's great. Are they actually going to be like a nine-win team for years and years and years, or are they just do they have a nice season? Because that happens sometimes. Well, it feels right? like people struggle with and, how hard it is to actually turn that corner. And with Nebraska, like to your point, like Nebraska, at least Iowa State had a good season last year. Nebraska, we're, we're just projecting because it's a name brand, I guess. Like they were good in the mid '90s, so they still must be worth talking about twenty-five years later. I don't know. I don't know why we keep trying to make like Nebraska a thing, like it's fetch from from Mean Girls. Uh, but <laughs> I just I don't really I don't really get like can we at least wait for them to show us something before we anoint them as like a oh, Big Ten West gonna have to go through Nebraska? Well, that's what's happened with Texas for the last what ten years. I mean, Mac Brown left what like two thousand and I don't even remember two thousand and ten or something like that. That's the same thing happens there. And I feel like the same thing happens with Michigan State to a lesser extent because I feel like people are finally coming around and realizing that, like I said, Michigan State gets their ass kicked a lot. But it's still, yeah, that Big Ten East got some really good teams out there. You know, never discount Michigan State. They're, they're going to be in the top 25 at the end of the season. Turns out Michigan State just isn't good. Nor is Purdue, nor is Nebraska, nor is Texas. It feels like Michigan State has sort of been sort of falling away and regressing since that Michigan game where they blocked the punt and win at the end. Like I, that's the last time I really remember Michigan state being like a team that I would really be worried about. You know, I, I don't, they, you know, they played in a bowl game against Alabama, I don't know, five or six years ago. And, and that was sort of like at the peak of their powers under Mark Antonio, I feel like, and they got just massacred in that game. Yeah. Michigan state. I, I don't, I don't know. Like that's they're a good program. Like they're 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 a top forty program, wouldn't you say? In, in college football, do you think Antonio should be on the hot seat? Maybe maybe a warmer seat, but do I think he should be on the hot seat? Not really, because a as you just pointed out, I sort of sarcastically, but it is true. There are a lot of good teams in the Big Ten East, and are you going to put Michigan State as a program as a team? in the same category as Ohio State, as Penn State, I'm not. Uh, I would put them in the same category as Michigan. Like we say every single week, who would you hire? I think it's a good job. It's not that good of a job, though. I mean, is it a fringe? It's not even a top top four job in the conference. Right, so is it even like a fringe top 25 job? So you're looking at like a Mike Norvell, a Josh Heupel. Like you're looking at those guys, and as we've said so many times, are you going to wake up the next day and feel that much better if Josh Heupel's leading your program? Probably not. It's a path that's inherently almost impossible to get to the college football playoff because of all the obstacles you have just in the regular season. So, I don't know. I don't want to make this like a Michigan State segment. I just, I just think overall we have these weekends every year where we go, oh, wow, Like look at all the things we were collectively wrong about. And this, to like like you alluded to earlier, this feels like one of those weekends. But I think if you go back and listen to some of the things that I've talked about, like I don't think you and I learned anything this weekend. I think we were sort of already ahead on all of this. We we knew Nebraska wasn't good. We knew Texas wasn't a top twenty five team. I was on this podcast last week talking about actually how you should bet Texas over TCU. But if you go back and listen to that segment, you won't hear me one time probably say 
that Texas is a better team than TCU. It, it's all about the economics of gambling. That's almost an, an entirely different conversation. Like Texas isn't good, and we've said that 50 times this year. So it, it's just, you know, we, we have these teams that we try to make into good teams every year, and sometimes it works out. But I feel like we miss way more than we make as a national media consortium. We pick these teams and we elevate them. And most of the time, they just don't really deserve it for whatever reason, whether it's because they had a a good season last year and we're expecting that to keep going on. We're expecting the same thing that's been happening to keep happening, whether it's a brand, whether it's you know a coach that we like, like a Chip Kelly and UCLA situation. There's a million reasons why it might happen, but it feels like every year we have to sort of crash back to reality in mid or late October, and that's what we're going through right now. Maybe we should just do this segment before the season. Here are our preseason picks. Here's what we're going to be wrong about so we can get out of the way. Maybe yeah, that's like, the right play. Couldn't couldn't we probably write a column on September 1st saying, like, here are all the things we're almost definitely going to be wrong about. What's the most overrated thing in life? <laughs> um... <laughs> Uh, you 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 gotta you gotta give me some parameters on that in life. Like, What's the most overrated movie you ever seen or TV show? Movie or TV show? Um, look, I think Breaking Bad is great. I don't think it belongs in the conversation with The Wire or The Sopranos or like the the. I, I think it's a tier below that. Uh, but I, I mean, it's a great show. I, I've watched it more than oh one time my all the way God. through. Um, I just don't think it's The Wire. Great. So Sorry. please come back on Wednesday morning for the midweek episode of the. I, Wow. <laughs> Look, it, it's... Wow. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying it's overrated. People talk about how it's the greatest show ever. I just don't think it's the greatest show ever. Do you know I why? Do you know why people talk about it as the greatest show of all time? Are you going to say because it is? Because it is the greatest show? I. It's It's not. Agree to disagree. Wow. Anyways, I'll be back on Wednesday morning with the midweek episode of the High Motor Podcast. Uh, Chase will probably be done with this show. <laughs> If I decide to have him back, he'll be on with his breakdown of college football lines. Already looking at week 10. Whew. Five weeks regular season. I wasn't prepared for that. Hey, you, 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 you opened Pandora's box, bit. my friend. So I do this podcast in, in my closet. I have a, a newborn that I don't want to be out in the, the main area of the house when she screams. And it's a little bit warm in here because you know, there's no vent in here, right? And I, I'm going to start sweating regardless, but when you said that, I started sweating a little bit harder because I wasn't expecting it. I don't know how to react to it. I feel like people, you know, you know, what's overrated. The word overrated is overrated because I use it literally and everybody else hears overrated and, and hears, Oh, that guy said that thing sucks. And it's, I don't, I don't think breaking bad sucks. I just think it's overrated overvalued. Perhaps you might, you might prefer. I, I just I don't even know how to approach this conversation because I don't <laughs> I don't want to so we'll just we'll just call it quits right here. Great. Well, thanks for dropping by the High Motor Podcast. Check us out on Twitter at High Motor Pod at eight Audi eighty eight and Chase Kitty is at Chase A Kitty. Thanks for listening to the High Motor Podcast. We will be back on Wednesday. Mm-hmm.